Newmarket is a typical Ontario town with a history no different from its neighbors. Or is it? On episode four of Newmarket History. First up, Newmarket's most famous mayoral dynasty, who all happen to be in the same family. The story of how three former mayors were instrumental to the development of the town of Newmarket. Then, Newmarket's black history and the details of the black community that settled in the Newmarket area. We will explore the not-so-often-told history of black people in York Region and their contributions to the country. All that and so much more history, now. History is full of great trios. The Bee Gees, Charlie's Angels, and hey, why not, the Three Little Pigs. All of these three trios had something in common. They were pretty good at what they did. But there is another trio, native to Newmarket, whose legacy has failed to stay alive, like the previously mentioned groups. But they certainly earned their wings for collectively putting Newmarket on the map. And like the Three Pigs, they were builders of both industry and community. Without the Kane mayoral dynasty, or the Kane chain, as I like to think of them, Newmarket may not have progressed at the same rate as other villages, or even kept ahead of them. Henry Stiles Kane, the second mayor Kane, has perhaps the most impressive resume, which includes bringing electricity to the town. The Canes deserve a lot of praise for their collective accomplishments, and it might just surprise you how much they actually contributed during their time in office. Our first cane, William, came from Irish immigrants and lived in multiple locations throughout Ontario before Newmarket. He was known to be a bit of a crusty old man, probably because he lived in Canada during the 1800s when, let's be real, life could suck. According to the History Hound, he was also very unsmiling, but then again, have you ever seen a smiling person in an old photo? Maybe William hated taking photos. Or maybe because, like Robert Simpson, everything he built was constantly burning down. William had a small operation north of Newmarket with a sawmill that burned down multiple times. He clearly never learned his lesson though with fire, as even when he moved to Newmarket, his factories and buildings kept burning down. Eventually, William moved to Newmarket with his woodworking factory, with the original name of Kane Woodworking, where he built things like clothespins and any other household item made of wood. Too bad he couldn't build a fire extinguisher. That would have solved a lot of his problems. He also received a pretty remarkable deal to move his business to Newmarket. And the history hound believes that William perhaps got the better of the deal too. Now, there's people who say, well, you know, look at he, he employed all these people and he brought all this money into to town, but he also didn't pay any taxes. He had a tax treaty for 10 years. Uh, he didn't have to pay for, for uh, uh, any utilities. Uh, he had a population that had the ability to be able to do the work that he wanted to do. They built him a factory. I don't know what else a businessman would want. Newmarket could be a very good fit for a businessman like William, 
It had a railroad stop, a decent-sized population, and a canal might be coming soon. Or so he thought. Kane's factory became the largest employer of the town, and he became a very involved man in the community. He pushed for the construction of the town hall and market buildings to help establish Newmarket's presence as a bustling town. William also was in full support of Newmarket becoming a town. He eventually became the first mayor as well. Becoming a town made sense as it could attract more business to the area and receive more funds from the government. But William might have had other intentions for his desire to incorporate as a town. Mr. Kane being pro-mayor probably had a lot to do with the fact that there wouldn't be a mayor if we didn't become a town. So let's create a town so I could be mayor. So it's sort of like creating your own job. And I would argue, I've seen no evidence to show that that he did anything extraordinary in order to to incorporate this. Well, whatever he did, it helped him get re-elected nine straight times. Basically, he was trying to serve as mayor for as many years as he could to outnumber the number of fires he had. To William's credit, he did a lot for the town of Newmarket. He positioned them well for the 20th century and left the town in a great place. His woodenware factory building eventually became Dixon Pencil Factory, which served the community for years and helped to employ many, many people. When he died in 1899, all the flags in the town were lowered to half-mast, out of respect for him. William left big shoes for his son to fill, but his son was certainly up for the task. I'm not so sure that I would call William Kane the father of our town. His son, I thought that his son was probably the most impressive mayor we ever had, probably ever will have, because he brought everything. He brought three industries, he brought electricity, he brought indoor plumbing, he brought the railroad, he uh, brought medical, like advanced medical, every telephone, brought telephone. So all during the time that he was mayor. Henry Stiles Kane, the second of the Kane Chain mayoral dynasty, dedicated his life to public service before becoming mayor. Almost 30 years, in fact. He became mayor in 1897, and the town immediately benefited from his leadership. Henry didn't spend his time in office kissing babies or kissing something else to get ahead. He took the bull by the horns with style. Henry managed to lure big business like the Davis Leather Company, Office Specialty Manufacturing Company, and Pickering College to Newmarket. The Davis Leather Tannery was actually one of the largest in the British Empire at one point. All three places provided employment for almost the entire town for a number of years. Henry also didn't accept that business couldn't work at night because of no light. So, he helped bring electricity to the area. And a good thing too, because open flame lamps were lit at night to see, and surprisingly, wood and flames don't mix very well. Perhaps not the sexiest of his accomplishments, but vital to the growth of the town, was implementing a water system with indoor plumbing. He realized that having drinking wells next to the bathroom might be the cause of some of the typhoid outbreaks Newmarket battled with, so he fixed that too. Oh, and before I forget, he created a fire department with its own fire hall and erected telephone poles to connect Newmarket through the phone. And to think he did all this without naming a park after himself or building a statue in his honor while still being employed as mayor. What an achievement. Henry was a great businessman and understood what his role was as a leader. 
He was very well known, and many people, like Sir William Mulock, valued his opinion on public matters. I believe he stood out. In my article about him, uh, I indicated that not only did he have a vision, so long before he became mayor, he had a vision. Second of all, he embraced change. I find politicians are not particularly good at embracing change. They like the way things are. They're not really good at embracing change. The reason why I think he was both a good mayor and an excellent businessman is that he understood what needed to be done, and he did it. He just didn't talk about it. Like, I don't imagine if you're uh, in council that he would sit there and, and try and convince you. He would say, this is what we're going to do. That's it. He also had a lot of qualities that citizens hope for in a leader. I, I definitely think he was a visionary, uh, and which is unusual because I, I, what I thought was unusual about him was because he, he grew up rich. So there's really no reason for him to have any interest in the uh, best interest of, uh, of his fellow citizens. But he seemed to, and he seemed to have a very clear idea of what the future was going to bring and how he had to position Newmarket in order to take advantage of it. Henry Stiles Kane was able to help lift Newmarket to a level above many of the other larger economic centers near the town as well, including Aurora. Under him, Newmarket definitely beat out Aurora as the larger and more successful industrial area. Henry likely goes down as the best mayor Newmarket has ever had. To be clear, I'm not throwing shade at the current Newmarket Council, it's just pretty hard to argue with Henry's list of accomplishments. The third member of the band, Howard Kane, the grandson of William and son of Henry, continued the Kane legacy in politics. His accomplishments include serving on the town council for many years and becoming the mayor for a few years in the early 1920s. But he spent most of his life in the family woodworking factory. He actually introduced machinery that built lead pencils, which was the first in Canada. A truly sharp idea right there. By the time Howard rose to power, his dad had kind of done everything, so it was a little harder for him to stand out, but still a very good mayor in Newmarket history. It is worth noting that although the Canes are three of the most famous mayors in Newmarket history, there is one other name that deserves an honorable mention. Dr. S.J. Boyd, or Dr. Boyd, in a nutshell, brought army training camps to Newmarket in 1940 to give the town a much-needed boost in the arm. Boyd saved Newmarket. Newmarket, there would be no Main Street downtown if it hadn't been for Dr. Boyd when he was our, our mayor. He brought the military camp here. And, uh, and that changed everything uh, as far as Newmarket was concerned. Newmarket had about 2,800 people living in Newmarket. He, we had gone through the Depression. Nobody had any money in Newmarket. And he got the bright idea of convincing the federal government to build an army camp here in Newmarket. That army camp brought 3,500 new people every six weeks to Newmarket. So more than doubled our population. He convinced the federal government to buy locally. So anybody who could use a hammer got a job uh, building the military camp, fastest military camp built in the world. Uh, you know, eight weeks later, we got a fully functioning uh, military camp. Yep. Newmarket has had some great mayors, and three of them are part of the Kane mayoral dynasty. Not too shabby. It's also interesting that many of the things they brought in were revolutionary for the time, but today are things we take for granted. So the next time you go to get a drink of water, you can thank your lucky canes that water doesn't come with a side of E. coli. To put a nice bow on this story, the great-grandson of Howard Kane, the third of the Kane mares, 
owns a water main and sewer construction company in Toronto. It is interesting he would be attracted to this business, since his ancestors played an integral role in bringing a fully functioning water system to Newmarket. I guess holding positions of prominence runs in the family. For the past 25 years, Canada has officially celebrated February as Black History Month. It is an opportunity to recognize the contributions black people have made to the country over the last few centuries. Most Canadians are familiar with the fact that Canada became a safe haven for many black slaves in the United States who were seeking a better life. Some families even moved to Canada so they could live in a less racist society. Toronto in particular became a common destination, but there is a lot people don't know about the black history in Canada. And some of that same history may have happened right outside of your front door. It may surprise some that the Underground Railroad ran into York Region, with a stop in Richmond Hill at Elgin Mills and Young Street. Since the area had many mills and factories, it provided employment for black people escaping to Canada. Additionally, there was a holding place for black people in Aurora, south of Wellington on Leslie, that was run by the Quakers to help anyone that needed it get on their feet. Like white settlers, black settlers became linked to Young Street, especially in communities like Richmond Hill, Holland Landing, and of course, Newmarket. By the early 1880s, a completely black community had settled just to the east of the town, with Newmarket's first mayor, William Kane, employing many of them. As you will come to see in this episode, Newmarket's black history contains a few very interesting stories with notable people, but so much of it has been lost over the years. History reminds us of the legacies of people who lived before us, but also serves as a reminder that we can easily be forgotten if our stories are not told. We have met the Quakers many times in this series, and once again we will learn of another of their significant contributions to Canada. Quakers are a big reason why black people ended up in Newmarket and the surrounding areas. The Quakers were never ones to discriminate, since the religion sees everyone as equals, so they had no issues helping black people, as the History Hound discusses. Well, not only, not only did they, they support their cause, but they actually... Uh, supported the people. They actually sold land to them. They helped them when they first came here, you know, feeding them and, and teaching them uh, stuff, how to, how to farm and stuff like this. So, yeah, I would, I, I would say that the Quakers were very instrumental in this. But this is also true in the United States. I mean, a number of people involved in the Underground Railroad were, were in fact Quakers. And the reason why it worked was because nobody suspected the Quakers would be involved in something like this. Many saw the Quakers as odd people, so it just seemed too difficult to believe that these quiet, religious farmers could in any way be involved in something like the Underground Railroad. Boy, could they not have been more wrong. One prominent Quaker who helped the black community was Benjamin Lundy, who is a distant relative to the History Hound. Some black people ended up working for Newmarket's mayor, William Kane, after the Quakers had helped them get settled. Kane, as far as we know, had no issues employing black people on his mills northeast of Newmarket. It simply wasn't a big deal. 
At the same time, it was likely economical to hire black people. Kane's employment is what attracted former black slaves Henry Hisson and his wife, Sarah Jane, Taylor Tamar, and Edward Provost to the area, and who became the founding members of a small black settlement in East Gwillimbury. The founding members were also some of the first to purchase land from Kane to aid with their settlement and establish themselves in the community. Henry Hisson is the most noteworthy individual from this black community, which at one time included 10 families. He was a smart man and also willing to take on one of the most difficult and dirtiest jobs of the era, perhaps in the last few centuries. Hisson was a charcoal maker, and maybe the only one to ever exist in the area. Now, charcoal does not sound very appealing, I know, but it had many uses then and still does today. Maybe you've bought or been forced to buy by your mother a pair of charcoal inserts for your foot odor problem or thrown on a little charcoal deodorant. It's got a knack for taking care of unpleasant odors. In the past, it was used for many industrial products and to sweeten breath, calm a sick stomach, and clean teeth. But when I say that it was incredibly difficult, I'm talking way worse than taking the garbage out at 6am or pulling hair out of a clogged drain. Hisson would create these charcoal mounds that could be 30 feet around. And the charring process could take a month. But here's the best part. Hisson had to live with his mound, like spend every day of his life next to this mound regardless of the weather, rain or shine. He slept in short dozes or naps, always having to keep one eye on the mound in fear it might catch fire and explode. He had to constantly smother any flames amongst many other tasks. This left barely any time to do simple things like take a bath. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, let's, let's be clear. The reason he, he took over the trade was nobody else wanted to do it. You know, I mean, and this was, I think, uh, you know, and what I have discovered and what I have written about uh, uh, our black history, they went into areas that other people didn't want to do. I mean, they, they quite often got land that nobody else, that people thought was absolutely useless, and then they turned it into something. Hisson certainly turned his land into something, and his family enjoyed success on their farm. He would sell his charcoal in Newmarket, other close townships, and in Toronto. As Newmarket historian Robert Terence Carter discusses in his book, Stories of Newmarket, an Old Ontario Town, Hisson would often push his charcoal wagon around town yelling, Charcoal by the bushel, charcoal by the peck, charcoal by the frying pan, or any way you lick. The land that Hisson owned is now Pheasant Run Golf Course, and many of his old charcoal mounds were actually discovered on the land, but there has been no sign of them since the course was built. What has stood the test of time, though, is the Hisson family, who have grown to be quite large and have a strong presence today in southern Ontario. Another man, William Allen, is also someone from Newmarket's black history worth mentioning. He was a preacher born into slavery, who helped other black slaves seeking freedom. He got along quite well with the Quakers and was known to be a lovely speaker. Wherever he spoke, there was no doubt the place would be packed with people wanting to hear his words. Hisson and Allen may have established themselves in the Newmarket area, but not everyone in the black community east of Newmarket were able to find the same success. Once the work opportunities with Mayor Kane slowed, many of them moved on to other areas or simply followed wherever the work was. And as the black members of the community left, 
so did Newmarket's black history. Unfortunately, we don't know very much about the black history of Newmarket. Our black history is almost non-existent. One of the interesting things, I tried to entice people to come forward with their, their stories, and uh, people didn't come forward. And part of it I discovered was people don't know. Even even the, the black community have no idea. There's virtually no literature. Uh, there's a lot about Toronto, and there's a lot about, uh, for instance, the, the London area of Ontario, or even uh, north of Barrie. But there's not a lot about our area. Um, and we know they came here, and we know that we had, you know, Richmond Hill was the very last stop on the Underground Railroad. So, you know, so we know that that we had black people here, but for whatever reason, uh, their stories have not survived. There are a few theories for why those stories have not survived. The first being the fact that many black people lived in fear or of being found by American bounty hunters. Many former slaves were very secretive to avoid attention and risk being taken back to the United States. Even though Newmarket was safer than settlements along the U.S.-Canada border, you never knew how long your freedom might last. That's the, that's the part of, uh, uh, you know, that, that fascinates me is living in total fear. Because there's a, a fairly large bounty on these people's heads. I don't think they felt safe uh, near the border, but I think they felt a little more safe as you got further north. But again, I don't know if they ever felt totally safe because, you know, people always are willing to turn other people in. That's one of the things we've learned through our history. Our historical knowledge is so dependent on oral stories passed down from generation to generation and anything written down. But without that paper trail, it is difficult to learn more about the history of black Canadians. This is even more so for women who historically did not have to perform tasks like buying land and paying taxes, which once again leaves no trail to follow. Another theory is that many of the black community members left for economic reasons. Since they did not stay very long, there is not much history to tell. Their history lies within other communities like in southern Ontario. Whatever the reason, the point is that although Newmarket has some interesting stories of black people in Canada, there simply isn't very much when you go back over the last few centuries. History is history, and it deserves to be told, no matter the person's background and position in society. I hope in the coming years, Newmarket and Canada as a whole will be able to unearth more stories of black Canadians, so that we may properly celebrate their legacies, as we already do with the people in our history books. Thank you for listening to today's episode of New Market History. I would like to send a heartfelt thank you to the History Hound for offering me his time and knowledge during the creation of this project. To learn more about the town's history, check out the New Market Public Library's history section, or read the History Hound's weekly articles in New Market Today. Stay safe, and I'll see you next time on New Market History. <laughs>